Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. The world beats you down and it's hard and it's difficult. And whether you come looking to be encouraged or you're just in that place where you're coming to be an encouragement, satisfaction won't come until Jesus comes for us. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, David writes, I will see your face in righteousness and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for. Glad you joined us today for Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is about to open John chapter 14 as he presents a message titled, Salvation is Very Important to God. One point is that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And yet we hear a far different message in the world today of all roads lead to God. Take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel chapter 14. We're going to pick up in verse 6. Where we left off, Bible study I've entitled, Salvation is Very Important to God. And as Jesus is encouraging this group of troubled, confused, and disturbed disciples, he says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it very clear for his disciples then and for us now that he is the only way to salvation. He's the only way that you'll make it to heaven. Faith in his birth, his death, and his resurrection is the only way you will have your eternity secure and the guilt and shame of your sin removed by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. He alone holds the keys to peace of your troubled heart. If you've missed the previous studies in John 14, I'd encourage you to go back on our app or online and listen to them or watch them. So if you looked at and we've learned the great encouragement that Jesus gives us in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's encouraging them as he's headed to the cross. This is the last week of Jesus' life. It's going to be a horrific week for the disciples. Things are bad now, but they're going to get worse in their lives as they lose their best friend. And he's beaten almost to death and then hung on a cross. As they look at him hanging there, they're going to just conclude that all is lost. And following him was the wrong decision. And what happens in verse 5? Thomas says, we don't know what you're going. We, we don't know the way. How can we even know the way? He expresses a, a heart of, I don't understand what you're saying I don't know what you're telling us. I believe he's representing everyone there. And the answer to that is, I am the way. Jesus says, you've chosen the right way. I am the way. While there is great theological truth in this verse, it wasn't given as a theological Bible study to the disciples. It was given as words of comfort. You've chosen the right way. You're going to be challenged on your faith. You're being challenged right now by the circumstances of your life, but you've chosen the right way. 
I am the way, and you've chosen me. I am the life, so you're alive in me. And I'm the way. Follow me. Because no one's going to get to the Father except through me. So your choice in me was good, and it was a good one. Jesus is saying he's not a way, and he's not some way. He is declaring that he is the way. And this is one of those Bible passages that will often stir up in others an attitude that you might have even heard this. You might have been sharing the gospel with someone and declaring to them, well, how do you know that Christianity is the right way when there's all these other religions? And you'll come to John 14, 6 and say, because Jesus said so. He said he was the only way. He declared that he, there is a narrow path. And what will people say? I'm sure some of you have been called this. They will call you what? Narrow-minded. When someone calls me narrow-minded, I'm not personally offended by that. I actually agree with them. They've come to the right conclusion. When they say, you're just narrow-minded, I would say, yes, I am. I'm very narrow. I'm narrow-minded in a lot of things in life, not just the things of salvation. I'm narrow-minded in a lot of things. For example, I'm narrow-minded when it comes to Marie. She's my wife. She's not your wife. She'll never be your wife. She's my wife. Well, Ed, you're so narrow-minded. I know. She's my wife. That's the way it is. There's no other way around it. I'm narrow-minded when it comes to what side of the street I drive on. I prefer to drive on the right side of the street. And you know what? I'm really narrow-minded about what side of the street you choose to drive in. That's very important. You just can't take, well, I think I'll drive on this side if it's too busy and I can go. No, I'm very narrow-minded. I'm very narrow-minded when it comes to my house. It's my house. It's not your house. It's my house. You're welcome in my house on invitation, but it's my house. You can't just come into my kitchen and go into my refrigerator, take the jug of milk out, and drink from the jug. Only I can do that. That's my milk. (laughs) And it's my house. I'm very narrow-minded. I'm sure you share some of the same narrow-minded views in your life. I'm very narrow-minded about not placing any sharp objects into an open light socket. Are you? I hope you are. It's like, no, I think you can just kind of put light bulbs in and you could put a knife in there. No, I'm very narrow-minded about a lot of things, including what Jesus teaches me about salvation. And I'm always amazed when people will get so upset with the words of Jesus when at the same time, they're very narrow-minded about a lot of things in their life. They're very narrow-minded in how they see their life and yet getting upset with me when I declared something that Jesus said. It's not the first time he said it, and it's not the only time he said it. Let me show you another. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is not the only time that Jesus is teaching about the way of salvation. And in the New King James... The word narrow is the word chosen as Jesus is teaching us about the narrow gate in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 7. He tells us, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go, by, who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. I'm very grateful that Jesus, when it comes to salvation, has narrowed it down, no pun intended, to just two choices. There aren't three choices. There are not ten choices. There's just two choices 
when it comes to salvation. There is a, what he describes as a narrow gate, and it's very unfortunate, but few people choose the narrow gate. Just a few people come through. The narrow gate would be referring to himself. That's choice number one. And then when it comes to all the religions and all other ideas and all other philosophies, that's choice number two, the wide gate. And there's a lot of people walking down the wide gate. He declares very clearly, the narrow gate leads to life. The wide gate leads to destruction. And these are intended to be comforting words that Jesus has made it easy for us by giving us just two choices. And this happens to be one of those passages of Scripture that isn't hard to understand. You know, there's a lot in the Bible that can be difficult to understand. Theologians spend their whole life dissecting the Hebrew and the Greek and the different, trying to determine what the interpretation is of some, a few very difficult passages. And I admit that there's portions in the Bible that are very difficult to understand. However, I also suggest to you that there are many more parts of the Bible that are absolutely easy to understand. For example, a a child can understand. As, As young as your child can understand the difference between one, the number one, and number two, they can understand this verse. That Jesus says there's one way, not two ways, but one way. And you'll find that every other religion and every other philosophy You know, every other religion takes you down paths and points you up mountains and causes you to dig into books and be introduced to all sorts of humanistic philosophies, but all of that's on the wide path. All of the ideas trying to capture your attention. Let me read it to you. You can jot it down. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul writes to the church in the city of Colossae, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And beware, the warning is, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul says the same thing. It's a narrow way. There's the way of Christ and everything else. And that's what he says in verse 6. Yes, it's a theological truth, but it's also a truth intended to comfort. Now notice with me verse 7 in John 14. If you had known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip answered in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And Philip here, in the midst of this disturbing time, confusing time, troubling time, they're discouraged, their minds are racing, they don't understand. Jesus is trying to explain to them. They're not quite comforted yet. Philip responds, well, just show us the Father, and that's sufficient for us. He cuts right to the chase. Show us the Father. If you would just do that, Jesus, that would be sufficient for us. You could end the gospel right here if you would just show us the Father. And I think in our heart of hearts, we would agree with Philip. In our lives, if we could just get a true glimpse of the Father, I believe we too would see that as sufficient. But there's a problem with that. The problem is that we live life here on earth. And on earth, awaiting our heavenly hope, 
There are so many other things that drive us and give us temporary satisfaction that we get easily distracted. And our eyes and our minds are on different things. We believe that there are things temporarily that would satisfy, satisfy us and give us the sufficiency. Maybe not so much the look of the Father, but there are those of you today that would consider yourself, you're discontented. You're unhappy with your lot in life. This is not what you expected, nor what you wanted, and it stirred up in you this discontentment that can easily turn into, well, you know, if I just had this, that would be enough. But haven't you learned by now that anything on the earth is never enough? It's never enough. It never satisfies completely, ever. Like, for example, some of you, you're like, okay, if, if God would just send me my husband or wife, he would just give me my spouse, that would be sufficient. I would be satisfied forever. <laughs> Have you talked to a married person lately? They would tell you, that marriage doesn't completely satisfy. They would tell you that it's a battle and a struggle to bring two selfish people together and put them in a house together and then start creating other selfish people to share that house. (laughs) While it brings great joy, it can also be a great difficulty. Perhaps you're not in that realm relationally, but you're looking at sufficiency and satisfaction and you're in that place where you go, well, you know what, Ed, it's not marriage or that. It's, it's if I just had enough money. If I had enough money, that, God, if I hadn't just give me the money, that's sufficient. But there's something about having more money that your bills seem to follow the trail and you never seem to ever have enough. Money simply doesn't satisfy. Maybe it's neither money or marriage, it's prestige and power. If you just had more power, more prestige, if your name was in lights, if you had the, the type of authority that you're looking for, you're looking for that raise or that position at work, that would satisfy, that would be. Lord, if you would just give that to me, that would be sufficient. And you can know where your heart is by looking at your ambitions. Our ambitions really reveal where our heart is. And if we find that our ambitions are rooted in earthly things, then we, we need to repent. They will never truly satisfy. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, that thought of satisfaction, and you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The satisfaction comes only by being with the Father. I think the cry of every true believer is to see the Father. It's one of the reasons why we gather together in a large group like this. We don't come to church. You know, you might have gotten up this morning, yelled through the house, okay, everybody get ready. It's time to go to church. But in reality, that's not what happened. You didn't come to church. You came to a building that was empty before you got here. It was empty. There was nobody here. You came to a building, and then you're going to leave the building in not too, many min- not too many minutes from now. You're going to leave the building. A better way of describing this morning is, hey, everybody, get up. We're the church. We're going to go meet together with others in the church. Not the building, but the church, because you're the church, and I am, in the Lord. And when we gather together as the church, I mean, 
really, there are those times where I find myself leaving but wanting more. I'm never quite satisfied. Oh, it's not because of the teaching and it's not because of the worship. It's because it never really satisfies completely the longing to be with the Father, not just see the Father, to be with the Father. When we come together, it's sweet and it's wonderful. And yet there'll be times where I think, oh, just a little bit more worship. Just one more song. Or just a little bit more on that one point developing a little bit more of his word or just a little bit more fellowship. You know, especially on Wednesday nights, what we find on, on our midweek Bible study is that when the service is over, the, the service, the Bible study, the music that, that we have, that we gather together, there is a lot of lingering going on after the service where people just don't leave. They hang out, they pray. There's a group praying over here. There's a group over here singing. There's a group oh, having a family meeting over here. There's, there's just that sense. You go get your kids and you just want to linger in fellowship because you can't get enough. The world beats you down and it's hard and it's difficult. And whether you come looking to be encouraged or you're just in that place where you're coming to be an encouragement, satisfaction won't come until Jesus comes for us. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, David writes, I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. But I do think we're like Philip here. You know, if you would just, if you'd just show me the Father, that'd be enough. I, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed in desperation to the Lord. I, I just going through something, I need an answer, I need wisdom. And the Bible says that if I ask God, he'll give me wisdom. And so I'm crying out to him, and, and I'll cry out things like, God, I just need a word. Give me a word. Give, give me a scripture, and that'll be enough. That, I just need a scripture, and I just need direction. I just need confirmation. I need you to reveal something to me. I need you to show me a sign. I mean, I've, I've probably said them all. I'm going to turn the radio on. And I hope the song ministers to me, you know. Or I, I'm just, what, Lord, do it. And you know what he does? He gives me the answer. He'll give me the scripture, and I will be greatly encouraged until the next time. <laughs> I'm not going to rely on the scripture last week because the Lord's brought me into another situation, and so we go from satisfaction to satisfaction, and I believe there's a piece of us that is left without being fully satisfied so that our hope would remain eternal and not temporary. God will answer your prayers, and God will encourage you in the moment. But man, the real place of satisfaction is when we're with the Father, not just when we see the Father. When we are fully, our salvation has come full and been developed and come to its full fruition in his presence. Notice verse 9. Jesus answered, he said to him, Have I been with you so long and have you not known me, Philip? Now, if you like to write in your Bibles, you can write next to that mild rebuke. That's not as bad as when he told Peter, get behind me, Satan. But it's still, it's still a tough one because you've got to understand, Philip has just spent three years with him. It's like, it's like Jesus saying, you've been, I've been with you for three years. You've been hanging out with me three years. You don't know me yet? You don't know who I am? You haven't seen the Father in me and through me? And you want to see him? He says, have you not known me? You've been with me all this time. You haven't known me? He who has seen me, verse 9 has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? This is a statement of deity. 
Remember the emphasis of John's gospel is on the deity of Jesus Christ. This is an emphasis of deity. And on many occasions, over and over again, verse, six, verse 1, verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, verse 23, chapter 15, verse 5, verse 16, uh, verse 26, all speaking just in this section alone of the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ refers to Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. There could be no question about his claims because the people that were listening to him in the day, don't let a cultist come to your door and say, Jesus never claimed to be God. They crucified him for claiming to be God. They declared him to be a blasphemer. The people that were there with him, the religious rulers of the day, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying, and so do his disciples. And this is yet another claim to deity. You can jot it down, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Hebrews chapter 1, all the way through the chapter, over and over again, declaring not only here in uh, in verse 9, equality with Jehovah. Jesus is equal with Jehovah in nature. They are one nature, one God, manifest in three persons. A doctrine known as the Trinity. We spent a considerable amount of time in that as well. That's available on our website and app. If you've ever struggled with the Trinity, we spent four weeks developing that doctrine from the Scriptures. And he says, how can I, why are you asking to show me the Father? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm his express image, as it's said in Colossians. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace, and he'll be right back. To give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. Look for our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Well, today we're excited to tell you about a book written by Scott Sauls titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. It reads sort of like a field guide and will lead you to what the Bible calls the secret of being content in every circumstance. You'll also find hope in how God is drawn toward you in your sin and sorrow. Get a better idea of how God uses our struggles to make us more lovely. And learn how to quiet shaming and wearing thoughts with God's divine countervoice. We'll gladly send you a copy of Beautiful People Just Don't Happen for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. If you'd just like to make a donation and you're not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Connect with us through social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Now let's return to our message. Again, we're in John chapter 14. Verse 10. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. This is a big issue. It's a big issue in their lives, and it's a big issue in our lives. Belief, faith. 
He says it here. Do you believe me? Believe me? Believe me? In verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. This is the issue of your life and mine. Faith and believing what God says. This is the pleading of Jesus. Believe me. Believe me. But there's a battle in our lives between belief and unbelief, between trust and doubt. It happens to all of us, all of the time, for some of us more than others. Where you get a promise of God and you believe it, and then time passes and then you doubt it. Then you come back and God gives you a promise and time passes and you're praying and praying and praying and there's no answer. And you begin to doubt and you wonder. That's the human condition. But the answer to the issue in your life is to trust the Lord. The reason there's a battle is simply because what you believe dictates how you behave. What you and I believe dictates how you behave. You know what that means? That means that if you give me enough time to observe your life, to watch you, I can tell you what you believe just by the way you act. We'll save the rest of this message for next time. Thanks again for listening to Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you as you live by His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.